This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So just last week, we had this massive showdown. These governors were lining up to behind Greg Abbott. Battle lines were being drawn. There's serious questions about whether or not you know the Border Patrol or the United States military were going to march into Texas and reassert dominance. And this week, everyone's debating Taylor Swift. And so the question is, you know, kind of, kind of what happened here? What's going on? Uh, is this situation really unique? Is this part of a larger ongoing battle? Lafayette Lee is a contributing editor over at IM1776, and he's a great Twitter account. Anybody who's not following him should definitely fix that. He wrote a great piece about the constitutional crisis, whether it is one, whether this thing is new at all. I thought I'd have him on to talk about it. Lafayette, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. So I will get to the piece in a second, but I'm a, am I the only one with whiplash here? I mean, I know Twitter is a very different space. One of the things I want to talk to you about is how little play this particular crisis got in the mainstream media. But on Twitter, it felt like everyone was lining up behind Abbott. You had all these governors declare one after another after another. People were making maps to update, you know, what 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 different states had aligned themselves with Texas. And it sounded like this was going to be a huge deal. People were memeing about the possibility of secession or other things. And then all of a sudden, uh, just nothing happened. And then we moved on to whether or not Taylor Swift is a psyop or not. Are you also a little confused about how fast that media cycle rotated? Yeah, no, definitely. It was, it was fun to watch. I uh, definitely got swept away in the moment. Um, many people did, you know, there's a, such an appetite out there for somebody to do something, um, maybe just to say no. And so it was, it was a great week before that, but you're right this week. It was, it was a, a whole new program and that, that kind of shocked me. Um, I've, I've noticed that the, the attention on the, the border, there's still a lot of, uh, people talking about immigration, but as far as Shelby pass, I mean, it, you know, or Shelby park, excuse me, uh, just not a lot of comment. I guess let's go ahead and recap our situation in Texas as it stands now, and then we can talk about whether the media reaction made sense, and and, and then kind of your piece about about uh, you know whether this is a new crisis or this is part of an ongoing struggle. So for those who are unfamiliar or you know have just lived under a rock for the last few weeks, uh, or just you know watch the mainstream media where they seem to say this wasn't anything at all, what happened? What's going on at the border right now? Yeah, so um, right now we have a standoff really between the state of Texas and between the federal government. As many listeners know, we've had an influx of immigrants into this country illegally through the southern border uh, that's really broken all records. And we haven't really seen this, this large of a wave in such a short period of time for a very long time. You know, we have certain waves in this country of immigration, and then they kind of 
they, they build up and then usually there's a cooling off period up until about 1965, that kind of changed. But uh, we really haven't seen anything like this uh, since before you know, 1965. This is unprecedented. And really it just comes down to the fact there's a lot of uh, spin out there. The president, the White House, they're just not enforcing the laws. Uh, they've they've they they rolled back some of the protections that the prior administration had put in place. So all that to say, we have a lot of immigrants coming into this country. They're being released into the population. Um, there there's just really no sense of accountability. And so the state of Texas, there's this part of the border. It's not where everybody comes across, but it's a it's a high traffic zone right on the Rio Grande. And it's a park. It's called Shelby Park. It's at Eagles Eagle Pass. It's a it's a major access point for illegal immigrants crossing into the United States. And so there was a standoff between the state of Texas, um, recognizing that the U.S. Border Patrol was not there necessarily to enforce the border, but to essentially help migrants across. And so they barred them from the area. And there was a little bit of a power struggle there between the president and between the governor of Texas. Uh, over access to that park, and Texas prohibited uh, federal, you know, federal officials from being able to access that park. And so, the last time that we, you know, the when it caught the news cycle, is the the governor was saying that he would continue to resist um, federal officials coming into the area. Um, he there was a Supreme Court decision that came down uh, on the in favor of the of the White House, and uh, Governor Abbott continued to put up concertina wire and make preparations to defend that area and protect it from illegal entry. And so that that's really what all this started. And then, as you mentioned, you know, after Governor Abbott was defiant, um, other Republican governors joined him, at least rhetorically. Some have already pledged to send materiel and sometimes National Guardsmen down there. Um, but there was kind of a show of support, um, very strong. And then this week, uh, nobody's talking about it. Yeah, it really disappeared off of the map. And I think the reason, and this is just an incredible failure, I think, by by a, by a number of conservatives. It's one of the reasons I'm still talking about this, because it's so important to keep this in, in some kind of news cycle. But it, this was a big loss for the Biden administration. One of the reasons that this mattered so much, as you pointed out, many people just wanted someone to do something, right? And the fact that Greg Abbott was telling the federal government no and telling the Supreme Court no. And he's not directly in violation of a Supreme Court order because all the Supreme Court really did was say that they should be able to have access. He, he, he hasn't fully crossed any Rubicons here, but it, it is more it is more guts than pretty much any governor outside of maybe Ron DeSantis has shown in defiance of the federal government. And people were relieved to see a governor taking action on specifically this issue, which is so clear that the federal government is not only not taking action on, but is actively, as you said, facilitating this invasion. And that was kind of the, the logic of Greg Abbott. He specifically cited Texas's constitutional right to protect its own border if the federal government fails to do so. And the federal government has not only failed to do so, it's actively facilitating the invasion that is occurring. And so, the, the, you know, the, the people were just excited to see anyone take action on this. It's obviously not going to get solved at a federal level. Everyone's waiting for that big piece of federal legislation. But as you pointed out, we already have 
the ability to do this. This is not a failure of funding or a failure of manpower, though the Border Patrol certainly could use more of both of those. But the Border Patrol was very much more effective under Donald Trump simply through the alteration of policy. Yes, more money would help, but the, the, this is not a question of does the president have the power to close the border? Does they have the, Do they have the ability to deter illegal immigration? They absolutely do, and they're choosing not only not to do that, but instead to do the opposite and actively facilitate a large migration of illegals into the United States. And so people were just desperate to see anyone take action because it's so clear that the federal government, no matter, you know, Republicans can play this uh, game all they want. You can you can have, uh, uh, you know, these different uh, senatorial packages talking about what you're going to do. You can you can have uh, Crenshaw standing around saying, oh, we're betraying the voters by not passing whatever new compromise comes from the Democrats. But the truth is. All of the ever all the tools that they need are at their disposal, and we're simply using refusing to use it. So watching Abbott tell these guys, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do this no matter what you say," was huge, and it's a huge black eye to the Biden administration because there's no good look for them in this scenario. There's no there's no you can't just send people down and open the border. That looks horrific. Like, what are you are you gonna are you gonna Fort Sumter? You know, Eagle Pass? Like, you know, you, we have to allow. Uh, these shipments of migrants into the United States. That's just not going to happen. But by being able to kind of keep this out of the news, if I watched CNN and MSNBC while I was at the gym, the, you know, the, while this was happening and a couple days after, and they never mentioned it at all, right? This thing that should be like this huge crisis. I mean, there, there's a couple, there's a couple clips. You can see it in general. We, we, we had a few clips where they were denouncing the government. But in general, this received far less attention than it merited. And I don't think that's an accident. I think it's because they knew that there's really not a lot of good looks for them in this scenario and better to just ignore it and move on to Taylor Swift or whatever. Let, let the media cycle churn rather than let people see that the federal government basically got told no and lost. That's exactly right. I mean, Biden was in a lose-lose situation. There was no upside to anything he could do uh, for this situation. And it was interesting because, as you noted, you know, you have your you have your mainstream media, um, you have you have senators and uh, congressmen like Crenshaw. I mean, it doesn't matter, like look beyond whether it's Fox or MSNBC, look beyond who's a Democrat or Republican, look who's closest to Washington. And that's kind of where I think we need to start as just ordinary people looking at this situation and, and ones like it. You know, how do we analyze this? It's really who is closest to Washington. There's a message coming out of Washington and that there was so much silence on this. Uh, you could tell it was kind of a deer in the headlights moment. I don't I actually don't think uh, many people expected Governor Abbott to say no uh, in Washington, that is. And so the message coming from Washington is overwhelmingly unanimous. It might seem uh, at the at a first glance like there's disagreement, but there's really not disagreement. Right. What's happening is the president has. I, I would, I mean, I'm just going to call it, he's betrayed this country by doing what he's doing with the border and allowing millions of people to come in and change and, you know, make major changes to the country that we have and change our, our political structure itself. Um, and Democrats are enthusiastic about that program. They'll say it's, you know, the, for human humanitarian reasons or whatever. Uh, but then Republicans are going to pretend to criticize it. But what's the solution? It's always going to be a bill or something that will codify more of this. 
that will not hold the president accountable, that will uh, allow for a certain number of immigrants to come in, and then it allows this same process to continue on. So really, I think what's interesting is, is for all of my criticisms of Governor Abbott over the years, um, he did say no. And although he's he's definitely enmeshed in Washington, all state governors have to be, um, you did see this division between the states and the federal government, between Washington and or the court and the country. And I think that's where it was really interesting. I think that's why people, the appetite was there. People were so excited to see this uh, because they're this 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 divide between those two entities between the people and between washington is, is real and i think people were hoping that they they would have some kind of champion to be able to stand up to washington for once and i i think what's so critical here is the failure of the biden administration to have any real recourse they gave him an ultimatum and he just said no and while Abbott can't himself stop all illegal immigration. That's not the point. I, I explained to people, you need to play the man and not the ball. The point here, we want to stop illegal immigration. That's obviously very important. But it's never going to happen with the system we have now. Even with a Republican in office, even with someone like Trump doing his best, he still couldn't get a wall built. And all of the positive changes he made to immigration policy were not only immediately revoked, but reversed so hard that we got the current situation we have now. And the Democrat and and the beauty of for the of the situation for the Democrats is they just have to leave the border open long enough. They don't need to win. They don't need they don't need to ultimately, you know, control this policy forever because every minute we lose, they're changing the demographics of the country. They're changing the uh, democracy of the country. They're changing the voting patterns of the country. They are securing generational victories in our current electoral system just by us being paralyzed. So that so there's there's no there's no need for them to win the long victory because they will inevitably as long as they can simply uh, keep things where they are. And so the you know the problem is not solved by just stopping illegal immigration right now, though that does need to happen. What you need to do is shake the system up in a way where people think differently about what's happening. And that's why I actually, you know, uh, showed a little excerpt from, from my upcoming book, guys, if you want to pre-order that, you can do that. Amazon, uh, you know, Books a Million, all those places, the total state. But I, I specifically kind of talk about a scenario like this one. I was like, oh no, am I going to need to rewrite this book before it goes to press? Because I specifically, you know, said at some point, these states will realize that it is more advantageous to ignore the poisonous dictates of the federal government than to comply with them, especially as the federal government becomes more inept and they dictate more ridiculous things. It will simply make more sense, just like DeSantis became the most popular government in, governor in America and had a massive boom in, in kind of you know conservatives coming into his state and, and reshaping the electoral map. All of that happened because he was willing to just say no. Right. And, and Abbott is taking a, a different, a, a similar step here. And you can see more and more of that. And if there's no recourse by the federal government, the federal government keeps making these ridiculous dictates that destroy the states they are affecting. And people just say no. And then they're better off for it and nothing happens. That's a shift back to federalism. That's a shift back to regional control. And that's that's a major shift. And that means 
that the federal government has to negotiate again because if they don't, they just completely lose power. Right now, the problem is that there is no negotiation with the federal government. They control it all and they don't care and they're just going to tell you to pound sand. And so you have to be in a situation where you can do the same thing. And that's why this was such an important shift because it re it, it uh, resets the terms of the game. It throws them out the window in a really critical way. And if Biden doesn't find some way to exert his will, then other people are going to be inspired, just like Abbott was in many ways inspired to do some of the things he did from DeSantis, just the way Youngkin has been inspired to do some of the things that DeSantis did. If Abbott can do this, that should inspire other governors as well. And the, and more importantly, the pressure from the public becomes more expired. The, the, the base starts demanding more and more because they can see that things can actually be delivered. Victory begets victory. And this is momentum that I think is critical. It's something that, like I said, is just more important than even probably the election of Donald Trump at this point is the realization of the base that they can make demands regionally and win those things without having to fight through the swamp of the federal government. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Really, like after 2020, I, I wish that we could have uh, appreciated the sectional character of the country that we live in, because that's really where things are moving, uh, because that's really where the solutions are. As you've identified, um, just saying no is one of the most powerful things you can do for a, a, for this, an administrative state of this nature, right? Um, we often want to uh, go and tackle this thing head on. Um, that's a very American quality. Like we want to go storm the castle, you know, get our pitchforks out. But really where I think we have the most leverage is by saying no. And not just saying like no once here, once there, but all of us saying no together. That That's really what uh, I think what excited people about the governors coming out. That's why I was thrilled, frankly, to see Ron DeSantis go back to Florida. You know, I, I have I really like Ron DeSantis. I've never really changed my opinion of him um, overall as a governor since even when he was running. But watching him be able to go back into the captain's chair and be the kind of governor he's been. And really, if you look at it, he's probably taken a lead over Abbott on this whole situation. I mean, he's been in the news ever since uh, over and over being very energetic about this issue as the governor of Florida and showing that he can say no. I, I agree with you. I think that even though it's been disappointing to see that um, this has kind of fizzled out in people's attention, um, I, I do think the message was loud and clear because the, it's the same message that's resounding across the world. There's a reason why our near peer adversaries are very active right now. There's a reason why we have hotspots all over the world. And it's not just because we have a, a terrible foreign policy establishment. That is true. But it's also because, you know, it's like smelling blood in the water. There's weakness and people can feel that and they can sense that Washington has been it's very powerful. It's been strong. And the Pax Americana has been really present in our whole lives. Well, all that's changing. So you have to know that if our adversaries can sense that abroad, the, you know, our other people in positions of power domestically also sense that, that we have a very weak president. We have an administration that's willing to lie and willing to not enforce the law. And so it's it's really a question of like, well, what can we do? What can we get away with? And this and, you know, people will criticize me when I say this, but this is politics. That's really in the political realm. You push your your limits as far as you can without necessarily fully or openly violating the law. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there are questions that can only be settled politically. And that's that is the nature of the American political system. 
and 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 I make this case often, but one of the worst things about you know the total state, and I love that that's it's a great way to describe this thing we're dealing with, is that it's pushed regular people outside of the political realm, and by doing so, we can't solve these problems in a, the the best way. They're always administrated out out of our outside of our purview or our control, and so it creates a lot of really unhappy, difficult. Uh, situations. It creates a tinderbox where things are a lot more volatile. But see, if we can see more red states, governors, communities, uh, be able to push back and say no, um, I think that will have a tremendous impact on on the direction that we want to move as a collective, like collectively. So even a decision by you know Greg Abbott, it, it, it went. It was in the news for about a week. Um, it inspired a lot of people, but but I don't think that it was all for naught. This is maybe one of the only places, unlike national politics, this is one of the only places where I think I think these wins build upon each other and they, they can actually become something real, a real groundswell. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, you mentioned this a couple times, so I want to go back because uh, this was you know, your piece. was You, you talked about the, the constitutional crisis that might be on the horizon, and you point out that we've been through several uh many people would recognize some people who who are unfamiliar with with some of the deeper cuts of american history might not recognize but you point out and i think this was the most important part that the the one we're looking at now the possible one that could be shaping up at at eagle pass is not actually starting here this is actually a very old constitutional crisis we're at the end of this constitutional crisis, not the beginning. And I think that's really important for people to understand. That's something I try to explain to, cons- uh, to, to conservatives so often, and especially those that are focused on the constitution itself as the, as the first solution is that the constitution has been invalidated because of a constitutional crisis for a very long time. And what we're seeing is just the most extreme end of a problem that began a long time ago. So could you walk us through a little bit of what you said in that article, where this constitutional crisis actually originated? Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important for like regular rank and file conservatives to, um, that most people love the constitution. So um, when I'm talking about the constitution here, I'm not denigrating the document itself at all, actually. Um, but we, but like you say, we need to be realistic and we need to understand the history of this. In a way, we've grown up in a post-constitutional America. Our parents grew up in a post-constitutional America. Yeah. And I, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you there, but I just want to stop and focus on that because it's so important. It's so important for people to understand. You have never lived in a constitutional republic. That, that's really hard for people to hear, but it's really important. Because they think they're just going back to the government that their parents or even their grandparents lived under. But they, you for generations have not lived under the form of government you think you have. And that's really hard for people to do because you can't think about solutions 
if you don't understand that all the solutions you're reaching for in the near past weren't operating under this system either. And so I think that that point you just made is just so critical that I wanted to stop it and drive it home for people. This, this system has not operated in your lifetime, your parents' lifetime, maybe even your grandparents' lifetime. And so I, I just think it's really important that when we look for solutions, we recognize that, yes, the Constitution is a powerful document, but you have not lived under it. And that's something you want to grasp when you're trying to restore its power. Exactly right. And you're right. It, this is hard. This is it's not really hard for progressives if you if you were to say something like this. It's really hard for conservatives for various reasons that I think are all noble. Uh, but it's important to know that we have had multiple constitutional crises throughout our history. But the most important one that is often almost always overlooked, you could probably I imagine there's probably a section in Wikipedia that talks about constitutional crises. I would doubt that they would put this in here. Um, but really, when the nation when the nation uh, experienced the Great Depression and there was a massive sea change and, and this is not just a massive sea change uh, politically, it was just, it was really a revolution. And that's really the, the word I think we need to focus on. Because a revolution is is sweeping, and it's it's it really it it drives so many other aspects of our culture and our society, our way of thinking, um, and it and it tears down old things and erects new ones, and it's complete. You know, it doesn't always happen at once, and that's also important to note. But that the effects of it are total, and that's that's where we we need to be able to understand this as a revolution it was really a revolution against the constitution in a lot of ways um and so when and i i use this as a good jumping off point but the 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 start of the new deal and the uh the great depression you know roosevelt when he was elected uh he came in and uh the old outgoing president had already kind of set him up to solve this uh this economic crisis in the way that he understood as as a, a president in a constitutional um, order would solve a problem like this. And it, and Roosevelt's way of a, of approaching the problem, although he he used a lot of his predecessors um, solutions and implemented those and integrated those, um, Roosevelt was different. And what Roosevelt did is uh, essentially Roosevelt upended the constitutional order gradually. And this was done through beginning with the New Deal, and then it really culminated with the war. And, uh, you know, there, I, there's a lot of granular details someone could go into. But I think for listeners who are just kind of new to this way of looking at history is to understand that um, the, 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 the world changed at this time. All around the world, it was changing. You saw this happening in other countries. This is a good reference point. So you can understand that the United States was under many of the same strains and was dealing with the same trends that was driving dramatic radical change abroad. But that the United States transformed over this period of time. You have a lifetime president, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have more legislation passed within the first uh, six years of his presidency. So, you know, between a first and second term that had been really passed in the entire history prior to that of the in the American system. More money was spent within his within the New Deal that had ever been spent by the government before. This was a dramatic change. And with the New Deal, it was not a sweeping like stroke of the pen of creating this new system. It was organic. It evolved and it was meandering. So it 
it grew gradually. But the thing was this, is that, you know, the president had Congress in his hand and he was able to navigate this crisis through the establishment of an administrative government in which the Constitution, which had always been a supreme authority, okay, that's the authority and the government is power. These things were always perceived to be separate, um, that they really became one in the same. And this is really the birth of what people might call the administrative government. I love the, you know, you the total state. This was the establishment of that. And you'll notice that after after the new, you know, after the total state or the administrative state is established, many of these constitutional questions, uh, the constitutional order uh, is usurped by this unelected, largely unaccountable to anyone, a group of knowledge elites, you know, that you have college professors are suddenly bureaucrats and that the, the power and authority gets centralized in Washington in such a way that that certain matters that had always been sorted out in the political realm are now, they've now transcended the political realm. And the government does change in its character. It's no longer, you know, uh, our government is to protect individual rights. It's our government needs to serve the people. And the main question here uh, that I put in the piece is that prior to this dramatic change, it was understood that the people are sovereign. It's it's really in our founding documents. It's the reason why Jefferson says, you know, the, the, the government, the, the established government, that means the people establish the government, not that the government comes first. We recognize that governments are natural. They'll always be there. There's never been a state without a government. There's never been a condition without a government. But the people are sovereign. It was a, that is the essence of the revolution is that um, how is Jefferson? How are his contemporaries? How are they going to justify um, breaking away from um, from England, from their monarch, from their established government? And Jefferson's solution to this, and as the way they saw it as part of a tradition, was that the people are truly sovereign. They always have been. Uh, you know, in their past, they would identify themselves as a free people, um, and that because they were sovereign, that they had the right to establish a government. But that means that the people are really the cornerstone of this project. And see, with the revolution during the 1930s, uh, the New Deal revolution, is it is it really inverted that almost entirely? So now that the now you have the state as sovereign, the constitution is no longer a, a source of authority. It's more like a guide. They're more like guidelines, um, and that the constitution slowly starts to lose its its grip. There's not really a constitutional order to uphold. It's more that the the administrative state now has the unlimited power that it needs as as a sovereign entity to be able to serve the people in any way that they see fit, and. Where eventually, as the New Deal is established and later through the war, um, we come out of that and we emerge into the 1960s, where a lot of conservatives will identify, well, this is the source of our problems. You know, they'll identify the moral decadence that came from that. I would argue that every kind of revolution has a moral revolution, a component at, it, at its core. So every time you see massive changes in something like this, a transformation, there is a moral collapse that happens too. And the seeds of that really are also, I'd argue, in the 1930s. And uh, what what happens in the 60s is uh, Johnson and his great society, and this is a longstanding democratic project from that really has its seeds in the New Deal. This is kind of the full culmination of that New Deal regime. So you can't really look at one without the other. I kind of look at the great society and the New Deal as one and the same, just a long process. Similarly, how we should look at World War One and World War II as really an ongoing singular conflict. 
And so that is where I do my jumping off point into this piece by trying to explain that the constitution and the constitutional order was, was really usurped by this administrative state and that matters of politics uh, were, were now taken outside of, of the people's hands and that they were, they were given to administrators and to an administrative government. And so when we make constitutional arguments, when we get frustrated and say, well, why doesn't the constitution stop such and such? We're really not understanding that the administrative state has power and authority and the constitution no longer has the authority that it used to. All it has left is legitimacy. And, and I think it's really critical to understand uh, the, the value of legitimacy. I'll come back to that in just one second. Someone uh, asked, is this in this timeline, where was the cathedral established? They're, they're referencing Curtis Yarvin's concept of the cathedral. And I think that's important to understand what Lafayette Lee is explaining is the, the establishment of the cathedral. It is the assembly of the different parts of the cathedral you know, we can go back to Woodrow Wilson, perhaps, to talk about the universities becoming, you know, the the new the new man, the professor becoming the bureaucrat, as you said, Lafayette. But the FDR really established this as a total framework in a way that it, you know, it had started under Wilson, but really it, it gained its its true power under FDR, along with the massive bureaucracies that would be implemented the way that you're talking about. And it's also important, as you noted, to say that this is something that's happening all over the world. It's not just happening in uh, the United States. Uh, one of Yarvin's favorite things to do, I was at an event where he was talking, and one of his favorite things to do is read out uh, FDR's uh, inauguration speech without telling you who it is and have people guess, uh, what do you think, uh, Mussolini, Hitler? No, it's the president of the United States. Because the way he's talking it sounds like someone who's definitely planning a revolution to remake his country and, and ascend it to some kind of uh, kind of uh, new uh, you know, imperial majesty. And this is the managerial revolution that I've talked a lot about and that you were hitting on in your piece. And this is something that all states underwent after industrialization and the ability to centralize power, particularly when mass media allows for mass propaganda. This is something that fundamentally shifts the way that governments are run. And we could probably get in a little bit into that shift because, uh, you know, as you said, the idea of the United States is that the people would always be sovereign. My contention is that's impossible. That's not what sovereignty means. No, no, no people can be sovereign over themselves in the sense that that most people think about it today. And that might be a reason that it was so easy for the administrative state to to ascend. But no matter how you kind of pick a, pick that apart, the point is that the way the government, uh, the way that the United States was governed, fundamentally shifted away from regional power, away from a regional understanding of uh, kind of community and uh, and bonds there, and instead it was made clear that these you know these new experts should be able to move into any part of the country and remake it in their image. And that allowed for you know, th this argument we're having today because so much of the power of the government that was supposed to be created through checks and balances to handle if different branches of the government has all been dissolved because everything is handed over to experts. Everything's handed over, over to bureaucrats in the executive branch. And so the legislative branch doesn't actually in, you know, create any real law. They simply create more, uh, more experts, more, more bureaus that can 
apply more studies and statistics and things. And those things then dictate to the American people what the actual legislation is going to be, which is why it feels like the legislature can't actually check the power of any of these people because it can't like who's running the government during uh, COVID. Is it, is it the Congress? No. Is it even Donald Trump? No, it's Anthony Fauci. Why? Because the administrative state is the one that's actually in control. No, that's exactly right. It's something that I, I do. I, I agree with Yarvin on that. I think maybe people that would look at the cathedral as simply like media and press need to remember that during this revolution, it created, you know, this was the, this was the beginnings of a rational state. Like you said, across the world, this was, this was a trend, right? So like even, even uh, Soviet Bolshevism um, in the, in, you know, over in Russia, this was, you know, there was the establishment eventually with the USSR of, of, of really the rational state. And we saw the same thing here, that we have a rational state now. And what that means is, is that now you have the primacy of knowledge elites. So, you know, now we have new dealers that are, you know, these are not these, the, and many of them, I mean, I'm, I'm not taking anything away. They're very, very capable people, some of them. Um, but now you have university professors uh, who had not really had a place in government, uh, but now they can become bureaucrats, like look at them as magistrates, right? And that with a rational state, now knowledge elites are very, very important and that they fill the ranks of your new administrative state. They become your administrators. And what that means is, is that that separation between power and between the, the knowledge economy becomes one and the same. So it makes a lot of sense to look at this maybe as Yarvin would with the cathedral, is that you have something like journalists have a lot more in common with a bureaucrat in Washington. They, uh, they swim in the same waters than they would like a farmer down in Iowa, right, as a citizen. And this is really important that I think people need to remember that, that this knowledge elite, this rational state, uh, this is a new create. This is a new thing uh, that had that had really come up and really swept the world. And so, there's a reason why people feel this gulf between, as I am a, a citizen of a state and I live in my community and I grew up hearing about the Constitution and the Bill on the Hill and and so on and so forth. And then when you actually see what Washington is and how it what it does, and you recognize that there is a separation, and that separation is something that. Um, I see as a major point of tension between millions of Americans, especially in red states, uh, Republican voting, red-blooded, conservative-type Americans, see themselves as citizens within a constitutional republic, and um, I would say blue state America for the most part, and then Washington as its locus doesn't see it that way at all. It's post, you know, they they view this as the supreme authority is the administrative state, and they're actually correct because that is where power and authority reside. Uh, the one thing that red state America or the constitutional, uh, maybe those who subscribe to constitutionalism still, is they actually have, they have a one winning argument, and that is that they have legitimacy on their side. Uh, but the separation is very real. And the tension, I would argue, between Governor Abbott and between the White House is really, a, it's really the same struggle between these two things. It's, it's really a fight between power and authority versus legitimacy. Yeah, and I really like that framing because you're exactly correct. The one thing that probably the states and, and those opposing the total state right now have on their side is that the federal government still pretends to follow the Constitution. Less and less every day, 
but they still make their justifications in the language of the constitution they still follow the forms of the constitution even if they they actually act their power out in in a different way and that means that the story that's being told to people about why the people in charge are legitimate is the constitutional story uh as where uh you know the the truth is their power is wielded from that expertise from that administrative so they they're right now their exercise of power and the story of their legitimacy don't work together they're they're at odds and this is something that is a really important dynamic for people to understand because eventually they're going to try to jettison the constitutional story. They're already in the process of it. Uh, Yarvin describes this as going from the two-story state to the one-story state. Right now we have two stories about legitimacy in the United States. We have the constitutional story, and then we have uh, kind of the civil rights revolution religious narrative paired with the administrative state. And this is important for people. Uh, I saw someone say, "Is oh, does this mean it's a technocracy? And I would say no, only because of this. You need to remember that there are two parts to, you know, we have our constitutional story, the one that, that Lafayette has been talking about, that gives legitimacy. But the other side of what, that, the one that the that our current uh, regime is operating under, it's a two-fold system. One is the is the authority of the administrative state due to experts, which we've talked about here. The other one is the spiritual or moral revolution that Lafayette mentioned, and that one is the civil rights revolution. That that is the the woke revolution that we live under. And so the moral component is the woke civil rights revolution, and the uh, kind of uh, more uh, the more power component is the authority, the rational component is the authority given by the administrative state. And it's easy to see how these two interact. So for instance, uh, when BLM is happening, that is a flex of the state of exception on the woke revolution side of this divide. So all of a sudden Antifa can light your city on fire, uh, they, you know, the BLM can break through your target and, and, and rampage it. And guys, remember, the sacking of the target is important because who cares about target in the sense of it's a multinational corporation that hates you? It's important because it's happening in your town. It's disrupting the the, the order of your town and your city and the safety therein. But um, but that's the suspension of the law, the the exercise of uh, uh, of the state of exception on the woke religious side of these things the way that it's exercised under the administrative state is again a great example is anthony fauci so this this is where formalism is very helpful so in the roman republic there was a formal office of dictator you had two guys uh, called consuls who were elected as presidents every year and they were the ones that basically you know the, ran the country and they you know new ones were elected every year there's a certain number of times you could you could serve. You had to have a certain amount of space between when you could be a consul. But, the, but that's the normal way that government operated. However, in a state of emergency, when Rome was really in trouble and they had to solve a, a problem right now, they would uh, invoke, they would create a dictator. The dictator was not so, you know, we use it today as a, as a pejorative, but under the Roman government, this was just a real office that they knew that they needed because when the crisis happened, you didn't want these two guys arguing with each other and them arguing in the Senate. No, we need to save the country right now. And so we need all the authority vested into this dictator for a period of six months. And his, his job is to solve one problem. 
And if he doesn't solve that problem in six months, it doesn't matter. He's still, he loses his authority as dictator. And so uh, in this moment, you, the dictator has that state of exception. The, the constitution of Rome is more or less suspended in those moments. And, 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 and you know, it still operates for the average citizen, but he has the authority to work to solve that particular problem. Any Roman would have looked at Anthony Fauci during the pandemic and said, oh, that's a dictator, because it's exactly what we did. We seeded all of the normal processes, all the normal authority over to Fauci in dictatorial fashion. The problem is that's not unique. That's all we do. All we do is hand that normal constitutional legislative and executive authority over to a rotating uh, you know, uh, uh, oligarchy of dictators that each one of them there's it, it sometimes it you know depends on the situation but each one of them rules with this state of exception in those moments and so we can see on two parts of this divide you know the two parts of this uh of this story on the left as to where they get their legitimacy sometimes it's the civil rights revolution sometimes it's the rational authority of the administrative state and that's what uh lafayette is pointing out here is the battle we're seeing now is the right is trying to assert normal constitutional order. The left is saying, no, the administrative state is correct. We have the state of exception on our side at all times. And there's never a legitimate reason for you to question that the constitutional order just doesn't apply here anymore. That's exactly right. And we, we live in this time where power is, it's hard to know. We know that government officials have authority. We know that the state has authority, but we don't actually know who is in charge of this thing. It's incomprehensible to us. This is also very unique <laughs> in our history is, you know, we have these, we have people that supposedly represent us in Congress. We have a president, but it, I think more and more we're seeing like, they're not actually in charge of anything. There's a lot of ceremonial duties to that, but they're not, they're not the power. They have authority, but they don't have the power. And over time, I think what's happening and why I, I would say that the state, the administrative state or the total state is acting so uh, incoherently and desperately is because they recognize that lack of legitimacy is being is being widely seen by millions and millions of people. Like an idea, like something like immigration. Sure, the president has the authority to enforce the laws of the land. That's his constitutional duty. Um, but he's facilitating an invasion of millions of people into this country. Um, you don't even have to go and argue whether that's good or bad. It, it just comes to the question of why would the president do this? Like, why would he not fulfill his constitutional duties? That's a great place just to start and focus on the argument. And it's it more and more people are recognizing that there's that this is an illegitimate thing that even if they can't you know distinguish between the different branches of government, even if they struggle to articulate what legitimacy means, they see a lack of legitimacy there. And I, I think it's no, it's no, you know, it's no wonder why this fight really started between a state governor and between the president of the United States, between Washington, because that's where the gulf is widest. We know that like a state is going to protect their people. That's its most basic thing that it needs to do. These are old, old concepts. They've been there since the beginning. So it's almost insane to think that a, a state governor wouldn't have the ability to protect his own citizens, that he wouldn't be able to protect his borders, 
against an invasion or against people that are not supposed to be there. And so obviously, if any commonsensical person would say, well, then the authority should fall on the on the governor to be able to enforce the law that's not being done because of a derelict president. And for the president to oppose that, um, that's where we're seeing this real fight between power and authority and legitimacy. And so I think that is really important. I'm glad that it's becoming more and more visible to people. I, I would argue that most of the things that we we talk about online and that they that, that drive a lot of the controversies really start at this 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 place, uh, at this division between those two things. Because somehow the the total state is going to have to find a way to become more legitimate. And I agree with you. I think it's eventually going to be that they're going to have to jettison the Constitution in some way, um, where it might not be so obvious. But they have to do that because if they don't do that, they're going to continue to to struggle. They're going to if they don't have that legitimacy, they're going to continue to have to deal with an unruly, difficult population. And perhaps that's why immigration is what it is today. You know, it's very possible that that is the solution. I, I think that's exactly what the solution is, is if, if your current population uh, won't support the regime in a democracy, you just get a new one. Um, and I think that that's that's exactly the the plan. And I think not only is it the plan, I think that the left has announced it as their plan on a pretty re- pretty uh, regular basis. Uh, in between saying, "Oh no, how could you def- how could you notice?" They cheer on, of course, uh, you know, uh, w- whenever it's actually happening. The thing that isn't happening, it's it you know, it's not happening, but it's good that it is. And that, that's always their approach to it. All right, Lafayette. Well, let's go ahead and switch over to the questions of the people. But before we do, can you tell people where to find this article and all of your other great work? Thank you. Yes. Um, If you go to IM1776, you can Google that or you can just go to IM1776.com. The article is called The Making of a Constitutional Crisis. You can find me on Twitter at partisan underscore O. And then you can also find my Substack. It's at ruins.substack.com. Excellent. All right. Make sure you're checking it out. Lafayette is killing it over there. All right. So author T says, doesn't getting to this point of brinksmanship uh, seem to be an inevitable result of striking down almost every reasonable policy law passed by the American people to restrict immigration in the last 50 years? Yeah, exactly the case. Uh, Like I said, it's very clear that both the Republican and the Democratic Party have no interest in ending mass immigration into the United States, both illegal and legal. It's just something that both sides have no interest in doing. That's why Donald Trump, uh, even though he was incredibly flawed in many ways, became popular is this is one of the, actually, I'll just uh, just break in right here. This is what, this was my original red pill. Like this was my original understanding of, of where we are now, because I had always been a talk radio conservative. I was on kind of this neocon, you know, wavelength, and then I started, I, I saw the immigration crisis in Europe and I saw the response to Donald Trump, who I was not a big fan of when he first came onto the scene. And I was like, why are people reacting this way? You know, the, the, I've been told my whole life that this, and then I looked into the data and found that actually both sides, even, even most of the left until just about a decade ago, really were against illegal immigration and, and large scale immigration in general. And I was like, okay, if everyone is against this, even most of the left up until a little, you know, the, the propaganda really kicked in the last decade or two, why has this been the ongoing policy of both parties? 
And it became very clear, like something is wrong here. You know, if a democracy is supposed to be a reflection of the will of the people and nobody wants to do the thing that everybody uh, in Congress is saying we have to do, then there's a major disconnect here. And the reason they hated Trump is he said what people wanted to hear. Now, they we might have disagreements on how effective he was or if he, he could even have been effective in that environment. But I think it's very clear that, yeah, the reason we've arrived here is that you know is that there is no other option for people they recognize that all of their normal recourses in what should be a constitutional order don't work and that's why i thought lafayette's you know piece was so good because it pointed out exactly that battle between what people believe is the constitutional order and the actual order of the administrative state that is is implementing the policies we're seeing now uh, we've got Creeper Weirdo says monoparty seething in silence. Yes, exactly. The, the the you can really see the monoparty working here as the Republicans attempt to swoop in and save Joe Biden from the worst political crisis he's had in his entire presidency. If if you want to understand the monoparty, there is no better picture than watching Republicans attempt to rush to the rescue of a man who is drowning in a constitutional crisis. If they were an actual opposition party, they would see this as a moment of an opportunity. But they aren't, so they don't. Uh, James Coffey says, uh, Abbott is not uh, is not uh, uh, stopping the flow. InfoWars is filming crossings happening. Abbott implies more busing. Uh, sorry, I can't click on that link at the moment with the way this is set up. Uh, look, I totally believe that crossings are happening right now. Obviously, Abbott does not probably have enough resources to secure the entire border. Maybe he does. Maybe if he applies everything he could. But he's probably limiting himself to that particular pass for a reason. Uh, remember, they're playing a, a game of, of brinksmanship with the law here. And uh, their ability to prove that they have sovereignty over that particular area is probably key before they attempt to spread things out. Uh, again, my point is not you want to play the, the man, not the ball. I understand that the goal is to shut down all illegal immigration. But right now, that's not the, the key point. The key point is to show the fault line. because. Look, even if you shut down all of Texas, yeah, they can just get illegal immigrants in other ways. Like Texas isn't the only place illegal immigrants come in. But by showing that this system is broken and showing that a governor could exert authority, that's the key. I know a lot of people oppose the busing strategy. A lot of people grumbled about that. I get that. But simultaneously, do you think Abbott would have taken these steps without that? Do you think that places like New York would be recognizing the problems they are now without that? I know a lot of people say, oh, well, you're bringing immigrants deeper into the country. Okay, well, sorry, but leaving them all in, you know, southern states like mine isn't a solution either. So I'm sorry that some people have to deal with the same problems we do. But I don't think the real problem of immigration is the state that these people happen to be in. Unless, of course, you think that this is only a problem for border states, in which case my, my reaction is, well, sorry, <laughs> like uh, enjoy the enjoy the problems we've been dealing with. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Lafayette. I'm not trying to uh, run no, you over here. No, no, you're great. I, yeah, one thing I think people need to two points here is that um, this this crisis would not be a crisis without it becoming everybody's problem. And so I agree with you there that um, this needs to be understood to be a nationwide crisis, not just a border state crisis. And so I think that's very important. It drives the fault line. And then the other thing too is it shows. It shows people directly that when you send somebody to Washington, a congressperson, for example, that you might believe and hope has your best interests at heart, that Washington operates for itself. And that includes Republicans and Democrats in Washington. 
And this is not a party thing. I mean, parties don't exert the kind of control over people's lives that uh, the administrative state does. Congress has very much become a defender and a guardian of the administrative state, part of it. Uh, you can't really look at it as a separate entity. And so this shows that breakdown of, of power and authority between a state governor and between Washington. And you'll notice that even representatives of his own party from, from his own state or from neighboring states are against him. Absolutely. And Thuggo says uh, public health officials supported BLM protests during the Floyd riots since racism hurts public health, spiritual and administrative support each other. That's absolutely right. In fact, if you'll remember, and this might, might have been my favorite, most ridiculous part of, uh, of the pandemic. Remember, you had to stay six feet away from each other. Everybody needed to be masked, blah, 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 blah. And then when the riots occurred and all of these people were running around on top of each other, crawling on top of each other to secure uh, their freedom televisions and that kind of things, their, their, their televisions of social justice. You'll, uh, if you remember, there were, uh, there were groups of scientists who came out and said, and physicians who came out and said that actually the rioting was good for the pandemic. It actually stopped the flood or the, the flow of the coronavirus. Uh, so, so that's how deeply the uh, administrative state is, is willing to debase itself in order to help the spiritual side. So that's a great point. Uh, there are many examples we could point to, but those are just a few of them. I, I think you're right to point that out. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up, but I once again want to thank Lafayette for coming in. Always a great time to talk to you, man. Yeah, thank you so much. It was my honor. And of course, if this is your first time here on this channel, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. If you'd like to catch these broadcasts when they go live, make sure you click that notification, the bell, the whole thing. Remember, YouTube, especially when it comes to right wing YouTube sites, they're just not going to put you in the feed. A lot of times you have to turn on everything in order to see what's happening here. And of course, if you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to Oren McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do, make sure to leave a rating or review. It really helps with the algorithm. Thanks, everybody, for coming by. Have a great weekend. And as always, I will talk to you next time.